With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome, everyone. This is View from the Rafters. Today, we're bringing in a man who hails from basketball country. Life is funny. Okay. Oh, good one. Don't go there. Not yet. What will we talk about in our podcast? The Bus One Boys. This is a crazy story. Not that actor is a basketball player. The crazy thing to me is like where you came from. Yeah, we're all older than we think we are. Always go bleed green, baby. All right. Another week, another episode of View from the Rafters behind the scenes with the Boston Celtics. This episode is going to be a little bit different. We're not necessarily diving into the typical storylines that we have in past episodes, but we are diving deep into something, and that is the first half of the NBA season. We're going to do a season rewind. It's myself, Sean Grandy, and Abby Chin, and we're going to be sitting right here in the Celtics front office in downtown Boston, reliving all of the top moments from the first half of the season, a little bit of all-star talk, and a little bit of talk about what's to happen the rest of the season as the Celtics pursue yet another NBA championship. So uh, we've got that coming your way. We also want to remind you to rate, subscribe, and review. That's very important to us. So please do that. Uh, and without further ado, we'll let you jump in right into the conversation. It's myself, Sean, and Abby rewinding through the first half of the Celtics season. All right. We are here at Celtics headquarters at 100 Causeway Street. Sean Grandy, Abby Chin, back for another episode of View from the Rafters behind the scenes with the Boston Celtics. And guys, we're recording this during All-Star, so we want everyone out there to know we do have a few games to be played before this airs, but there is a lot to talk about from this season and a lot of good things that we need to talk about for this season. Um, Sean, what has stood out to you the most about the first, what do we got, 59 games that have been played at this point, 42 and 17, tops in the league? Can I say, for all the awesome guests that we have, that it's finally nice to just kick back and be us here? We don't have to worry about being overly polite to somebody and welcoming somebody in, that we can just finally stretch our legs out and, and talk about this season. And, and hey, Three seasons in. And we Three get, seasons in. Yeah, darn it's a while, time. Right? And we get to use all of the time to ourselves, which well, I know you're using you some of it right now, which is you know, not, <laughs> not ideal. But I, I think when we – and the All-Star break is useful – with a 30,000 foot view, right? Because we never get it day to day. You're just out of the next game and out of the next flight and out of the next city. True. The amazing thing to me is that if you had said in the middle of August that the Celtics would have the best record in the league by a half game, that Jason Tatum would be having this amazing year, that the Celtics would be, they were the title favorites in the middle of August and they are where they are, none of this would be a surprise. But then you factor in the three back-to-back body shots that the Celtics took. Gallinari, gone. Rob Williams lost for the third of the year, and then the unthinkable, essentially on the eve of training camp, a coaching change that nobody could possibly have imagined happens, and yet the Celtics have performed as if none of those three things have happened, and that may be the most amazing thing 60 games in. And it's not even just that stuff, Abby. I mean, we've gone, and everyone loved the stat when I sent it out, but when when the Celtics come back from All-Star – 
you know, God forbid at this point they're going to be fully healthy. They're going to have all their guys. But heading into All-Star, they've only had one game this season where all five of their starters started the opening tip, which is insane that they lead the league, yet they've had to navigate all of these injuries. Derek White has started 51 of 59 games, and he's he's supposed to be a reserve. It's incredible. And, and that even accounts for the amount of minutes that Jason Tatum is playing. He has been phenomenal this season. We all know an MVP caliber season. But I think what stands out to me, and, and Sean, you kind of prefaced it, is, is that these guys have come back on a mission. That email news could have shaken this group to its core, but they instead came together. And it's something that Brad Stevens pointed out in his press conference talking about making Joe Missoula the head coach, taking away the interim tag is that he has been able to bring this group together. They have their eye on one goal, and everyone is working towards that, willing to sacrifice, do whatever it takes to get to that one goal. And the message has remained the same from the beginning of training camp when there was that dark cloud over everything that was happening to now in the All-Star game and then coming back from the break. And so, to me, that's what has stood out, is that these guys have been unwavering in that mission to get back to the NBA Finals and overcome. Great teams, elite teams, impose their will. That's the history of the league. When And this is a team that was, what, 28-7 to finish last year with a plus-15 scoring differential and an abs- absolutely absurd, dominant run and obviously going to the Finals. And yet, in 08, the team wins the championship and everybody told them all summer there's going to be a letdown. You're gonna you're gonna fall back. You can't have the dominant season you have. And what happened? They started 27 and two with a 19 game win streak. They imposed their will, and there was an element of that. This team wasn't as dominant. This team hasn't been as dominant as last year's team was in the second half of the year. But there was an element of running off to the start they did, sort of running away from the league and the historic offensive start that reminded me of that. And that just when everybody said, everybody, the experts, quote-unquote, the NBA world history, everything we know says there's going to be a fallback, and instead it went in the other direction. It reminded me of the title defense season and the first 30 games of 08-09. Did that surprise you, though? Sure. Of course it did. I mean, because we, I, nobody knew what to expect. Listen, you guys were there. Listen, Abby, you were in the building the first preseason game. That was a strange, odd day. It was heavy in the building. It felt weird. No, it media was, day was weird. Well, of course media day was. It, it truly being was. there the now, Friday before. Right. It was, I mean, in this we, building, no one knew it was going to happen. The building where we're sitting, it was weird. But what made that especially weird is that there were 19,000 people, because in Boston, preseason games sell out too. There were 19,000 people all participating in the weirdness of this strange vibe of what's happening here. And Max and I came on and we did our, our 10-minute little thing on what had happened and we wanted to put it in a place because we didn't want to just you can't just start the broadcast here's the first game of the year and oh coach Joe Mazzula calls timeout I'm sorry what who so you had to and wait calls timeout he doesn't well that's right that that didn't happen (laughs) the Celtics by the way have like the best offensive rating out of timeouts people don't acknowledge that right right? (laughs) well now he has to call more now because he had the best offensive rating out of timeouts Uh, I think that I'll always remember that day when you when you go to your office where you've been, well, I guess they told us, what, 2,000 times that Max and I have done it. When you go to your office 2,000 times and then the 1,981st time you go, it feels completely different than the 1,980 that came before. You're going to remember that day. And here we are. Everyone just played through it. Everyone just did their jobs. 
And pretty soon it was back to work and everybody was focused on what it is they had to do. And two months later, you look up and you're 21 and five with the best offense in the history of ever. Yeah. And that's what's been so remarkable about it to me. And and this is, we were on the outside. We were not inside that locker room. And I think that that was something really important for Joe to do from the beginning was to allow those guys to feel the pain of, I mean, basically losing someone who they were very close to in Ime. And, and not that he is gone, gone, but he is not an everyday fixture in their life. But it it does feel like nothing has changed. I mean, not that much is different. The Celtics went and practiced and followed the practice plan that they were going to practice from day one anyway. And and I know the players have felt a little bit more emotional and have been vocal about that. But for us on the outside, what I'm trying to say is it it just feels like the the ship keeps rolling. There's nothing... It doesn't feel that different. After that first preseason game, once everything was addressed, it was handled. After the press conferences were done, we moved on, and it's been all about basketball ever since. The three things I mentioned, he made the Gallinari injury, the Rob Williams injury, none of those three things erased the sound that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and everybody heard across the hall in the locker room after game six of the finals when another Mm -hmm. team only the second team ever to do it, the Lakers in well, 85 and Golden State last year, the only teams ever to win the championship in Boston. And that sound of them celebrating across the hall was a louder noise and something that reverberated more in the heads of the guys in the room that heard it than the three things I talked about that people thought would alter their season. That is what is driving their season, not those three things. And on top of that, you hear the sounds, but you also see the visuals. Uh, because I, I know you two both remember where the press room is, right? That the Celtics have to talk in after every single game, including game six of the NBA Finals. In that back hallway, all of the Warriors players, with their goggles on, with their champagne in hands, are passing through right by the Celtics media area to go to their after party, which was in uh, Big Night Live, which is attached to TD Garden. So... The Celtics players in the moments after losing the finals had to watch these guys walk by. I know I felt it when these guys were wearing their goggles. I remember Jordan Poole walking by, and I'm like, oh, my God. Why can't we be wearing these goggles? Um, but I know hey, they had to. It wasn't great. Don't forget this, too. Giannis and the Bucks all heard the Celtics celebrating in that mm-hmm. same hallway after Game 7-2, and I'm sure they're going to take that with them mm-hmm. for the meeting that we know I mean, we know it's going to It's happen. destined to happen, yeah. I will say Miami, the locker room's very separate. I don't think <laughs> yeah, that there was, was much deal. overlap. It's, it's like a mile apart. They didn't apart. have to pass it to leave you the building. You get your steps in, right? Yeah. We go to Miami, oh, you get your steps in doing that pregame thing, yeah. Um, Absolutely. So you mentioned, and you mentioned the kind of turnaround there from the Friday where we all find out the head coach is suspended. Joe Mazzula is coming in as the interim coach, and this is the Friday before training camp. In the moment... I remember going out to the Auerbeck Center, sitting down. I actually got a few moments to talk with Joe that day before his press conference. And in my mind, I mean, here's a team that's pursuing a championship coming off of game six of the finals. The expectations are so high. And in my mind, I'm just wondering, is this going to derail everything? Because you only had 48 hours, or I guess 72 hours before training camp started. I just didn't know how a team would be able to recover from that. But in hindsight, when I look back, part of me thinks it actually might have been a good thing that it was a short amount of time that they had to turn around because it forced everyone to mentally dial in and like not allow it to derail them. Get I don't know the if pool. you guys throw feel them that in the way. pool, well, yeah, and swim, yeah. 
To compartmentalize, too. I think NBA players have a unique ability to be able to compartmentalize what is important in that moment and to live in that moment and to be able to perform on the stage in that moment. And so I think that you're right. That's a good point, that they didn't have time to dwell on it. They didn't have time to think about what is going to be different, what is going to change, what is life going to be like now. And they or just to lament the moment, to. right? Absolutely. Like the loss of email. Like all these guys were close. They didn't have time to be sad or upset or mad or any of that. They had to turn the page. Had a job to do. But like you said, those first conversations with Joe as the head coach, to me, and I had covered Joe in the summer league that he coached two seasons prior. And so we were, like I knew him. We were close. He, uh, not that close though. And, and I didn't know what to expect on that first media day. But he was there when my from my first conversation with him. He was so confident, so un... I, he didn't, he doesn't, feel pressure. It doesn't feel like he feels pressure in the way that I feel pressure, that it makes me nervous and I get edgy and I get very antsy. Are you nervous right now? No. (laughs) no. Are you sure? No, I don't think so. Uh, Although this is the first time we've done this. So yeah, yeah, getting used to it. Um, Don't mic that knock over. Don't knock that mic over either. (laughs) Who's nervous? Yeah, (laughs) I'm stumbling over my words. He was so confident and and in control and knew exactly what he wanted to say and, and who he wanted to be and that gave me so much confidence in him. After my first conversation with him at Media Day, I said, oh, it's going to be fine. The remarkable thing about it was how quickly he did it. This is what I would say to people from the outside when they would say, what on earth is going on? Who's Joe Mazzulla? Is that maybe Joe Mazzulla was destined to be the next Eric Spolster. Maybe he was destined in a couple of years to get... First of all, he was a finalist. Will got the job in Utah with Danny, but Joe was right there. Joe was right there in the conversation to get that job. So maybe Joe was going to be a coach somewhere else, and he was going to be the next big thing. But because it happened this way, all of a sudden, this is going to be... Who's Joe Mazzulla? And all of a sudden, he's promoted to this job. Maybe in a year or two, he was going to be an NBA head coach somewhere uh, anyway. But the remarkable thing is that knowing Joe, and listen, we've all known Brad for years, and Joe and Brad have... I don't. I don't like to use the word mindset because Joe has used it enough for everybody. It's like your Joe Mazzula bingo card, right? It's like mindset and spacing and all the above, you know, all the above um, to get your full Joe bingo card. He, these guys are all based, a lot of us are, on preparation and how we go about it. And how could he possibly have been prepared? When you're an NBA head coach, you're thinking about your team on May 16th. You're thinking about your team on July 8th. You're thinking about your team on August 1st yeah. and how you're going to come. And this is the most remarkable thing about it was that off-season of preparation that goes into being a head coach or the managing a baseball team or being an NFL head coach is a year-round 24-7 job. And to have to coach your first game essentially hours after becoming the head coach and then just going from there, that is, the, uh, to me, the most remarkable and overlooked part of it was that he did not have the ramp up, that this didn't happen in June, that it happened a couple of days before camp. It's a great point because I think the first preseason game was like two days after camp started. Right? Right? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was right away. So, Abby, we rewind to that Friday, and the thing that stood out to me is I didn't know what was going to happen with, with Joe. I didn't know how he was going to react to this situation. Then you get to Monday. It's media day. At that point, there's still so many questions that I'm wondering in my head. I know everyone else is, but then that first day of training camp, when he stood in front of all of the media, and I know you were there, that's when I knew this guy's got what it takes because he just didn't seem flustered no. at all. I he mean, it's his first day running an NBA team. I mean, obviously he had the, the history of coaching the summer league team, but it, it's a different animal when you're actually running the real team. And he just, there were no nerves. 
He answered every question perfectly. And to go through that media day, days after this whole situation unraveled, and then to come to day one of training camp and not say a single word that he shouldn't have said, that's when I knew I'm like, okay, this guy's ready for this. Because I, 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 I can't comprehend how he did that. He may regret talking about that he's still driving his minivan, which he is still driving. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that will be used against him, I think, for a while. And I, the royal family. It is. He was in a unique position, though, as well. Let's not get in trouble here, yeah. okay? Um, about because he had those pre-existing relationships. I'm not yeah. sure. I think everyone kind of, everyone on the outside said, who is Joe Missoula? But right. the players knew who mm-hmm. Joe Missoula is. My favorite story from last season was um, Derek White when he arrived in that trade and, and his mind was just all over the place because he'd never been traded before in his life. And then after coming from San Antonio where he'd known one thing the whole time of his NBA career, um, they sent him to Joe Missoula to learn the offense and, and to get a handle on things. And so... These pre-existing relationships, I think, enabled Joe to be the coach that he is and to um, garner the respect in the locker room that he's been able to. And and like we ta- have t- been talking about, getting everyone on the same page and going towards the same mission. 99% of being an NBA player is the work you put in that nobody sees. Joe Missoula had lived with these guys for that 99%. Yes. You mentioned Derek White. Can we segue right into that? Because Derek <laughs> White has been the savior, in my opinion, of this team this season. I mean, obviously, Jason playing at an MVP level. He's going to be the first player in Celtics history to ever average 30 or more points in a season. That's Incredible. crazy. Ooh, Incredible. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. No doubt in my mind. But Derek White is the guy. Without Derek White, there's no chance that the Celtics are where they are. No chance. 51 starts out of the first 59 games, and he has been awesome shooting basically 39% from three, doing everything the Celtics need on a nightly basis in a multitude of ways, depending on who's missing, right? Like, that's who has stood out to me in terms of being able to keep this team on track, Sean. Plays every game in the load management era. He's played every game since he was here. Uh, You know, every regular season game since he's been traded here, he has played. And I think in the load management era, the teams that are going to have success are the teams that have depth, that are going to plug in different guys, that – you know, you, you you started by saying, isn't this amazing that the Celtics have done this with the starting five only playing one game together? It's not that unusual anymore. That's the way it is in the NBA, but the Celtics have the best record in the league because they are they have the depth Deep. and they are equipped to deal with that. The best teams now aren't going to be the teams that have the two best players in the regular season. They're going to be the teams that are, go six, seven, eight deep that can manage their way through the inevitable injuries, through the inevitable load management. I don't want to disrespect Kyrie by using that term. They, you have to manage what the NBA is now, and the Celtics have built a team that, particularly in the backcourt, that has the ability to do that. I think that's what Derek White epitomizes is just how deep this team is. And and you ask them, they they know, they believe they are the deepest team in the NBA, and it has shown over that last week going into the All-Star break, missing Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Rob and Al, in and out of the lineup. I mean, without four or five starters, and the Celtics continue to win, continue to get it done. It's due to guys like Derek White. We haven't mentioned, we will, I'm sure, Malcolm Brogdon. But also, I mean, we got to give credit to Brad Stevens for the additions and, and just 
I won't do that, by the way. Picking. I, I mean, I just, I can't. You don't do like each Behind other. It's not that. I just, I, it just pains me too much. It's a, it's After nine years? Just, it's physical. I just can't. Yeah. There was just too much. That's why he left the relationship. Head to head. That's right. Yeah, we couldn't take it anymore. That's why I, as That's why I texted you, the day, just, the day yeah. that it all happened, the day he was no longer the head coach, whatever, I just texted him. I said, listen, if you want to get out of the pregame thing, there were other ways to do it. <laughs> just let me know. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that was a brilliant move on his part. And the fact that Derek is such a connector and a guy who can, like you said, give you exactly what you need. If he is playing eight minutes, he goes out and he is, you have the term, balls of the wall. I mean, he You can say that. Plays, it's a podcast, yes, can, can say that? Um, he plays hard and gives you exactly what you need, whether that's on the defensive end or the offensive end. And he... That's so rare, and, and I've talked about this with Scal a lot, the versatility that Derek White has. And it's not just a versatility on the court, playing guarding one through five. It's also the versatility of roles, that he can come in off of the bench, he can be a starter, and he can give you exactly what you need. To win, Mark, you need guys who are have reached a point in the NBA where they now, winning is more important than their own individual role, and that was, everyone wants to, Put it on Kyrie, but the fundamental flaw of the 2019 team that was what it was, was the there were too many young players that had not established their place in the NBA, which the league, it almost forces you to do it by definition. Can you play in this league? Who are you in this league? What is your role? Derek White has already done that. We didn't see it because it happened in San Antonio, but Derek White got his contract. He established who he was in the NBA. Now he's here to win. Malcolm Brogdon has established who he is in the NBA. Now he wants to win. Blake Griffin has long since established who he is in the NBA. Now he's here and he wants to win. That is how you do it in the league. You can't. This is why teams that are primarily built on young players on that first NBA contract don't have deep playoff success. That's a big, big part of it, and it's what this team has. And it, Again, you cannot say Derek White without thinking of that characteristic. What is this team going to be when Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White are coming off the bench. It just blows my mind that the Celtics are going to have these two guys who have been, I think the game before the All-Star break, they combined for like 51 points or something like that. Um, what do you think this team can be with those two guys coming off the bench? It's insanity. What a luxury. <laughs> but also, if those two guys are coming off the bench, that means that your starting five is healthy. Thank God. And that, that also there you go. Where's the is wood? That's not me. What's going to happen that we don't know the between the now and then? And that's the, the point of what we're saying is having these different pieces that you can plug in, everybody does the same thing. You're doing it now. We all do the same thing. Wow, imagine when everybody we're gets dreaming. together, it's going to be great. That's not how life, what, life is what happens, right, when you're busy making other plans. So there's, you know something will happen to Boston or Milwaukee or Philadelphia. As we're sitting here talking now, something is going to happen that we can't possibly have imagined that will alter the course of one of those teams' futures this year. The point is that instead of thinking about, man, imagine what it'd be like if they were all together, is knowing that you haven't had them all together and you still can win anyway. I have to imagine what it's going to be like with them all together, though, right? We're, we're three quarters of the way through the season. I have to think, cross my fingers, everything, knock on wood, kick the wood. I'm hoping that we've gotten all of that stuff out of the way by this point, well, right? I There's only... I wouldn't go that far, but I would say that that is the whole point of all of this, the load management, yep. the yeah. being overly cautious with Rob Williams when he feels even a tinge in his ankle. I Al's mean, been in bubble wrap all year. Yes. And the, and keep him there. No yeah. back-to-backs. Keep him there. And and let's sit Jason Tatum for some more minutes, too, <laughs> while we're at it. I don't know. Let's play him 40 Let Marcus Smart game. take as long as he wants with that ankle. <laughs> Just get to the playoffs. And I think that that's something that 
I had never experienced a run to the finals. It is long. It's two and a half more months of basketball. And it it's not just basketball. It's the most intense basketball that you've ever played in your life. And you have to do it and bring it and bring that focus every single night. And so whatever it takes to get there and in any modicum of health, I am all for. That That's a great point Abby made because when people think of the, the new big three era, they think of it as a six years, right? 2007 to 2013. But really, it was seven years because they that team played almost a full season of playoff games with the two runs to the finals and the conference finals in 2012. And as Abby just said, those aren't miles on your car. Those are uphill, all-terrain vehicle miles that beat you up. So those add a lot of, you know, that adds a lot to it. It's not... 30 playoff games are not 30 regular season games. It's it's essentially another full season, and that's why. Remember, when Al did what he did last year, which was amazing at his age to play all those minutes and go to the finals, remember, he had basically had the year off. You know, <laughs> OKC said, listen, go home. They, like, locked him out of the practice facility so he could just, like, take the year off. So he was fresh going into it, and you're almost – what the Celtics are trying to do here is sort of replicate that with Al, where a couple of games we've seen playoff Al – this year, and we'll see it against like Milwaukee. But for the most part, well, the only time you want to see playoff Al is when it's time for playoff Al. Which makes the fact that this team, again, as we record this, is atop the NBA even more important that they've been able to sustain the level of play. You mentioned this earlier. They've sustained winning while getting all of these guys rest throughout the season so that hopefully in the long run, there will be more gas in the tank this time around than there was last year after they were fighting. I mean, we talk about the playoffs as an uphill battle. How about coming back from that start that they had? What was it 17 and 20, 18 and 21, whatever it was, that they had to, the whole second half of the season, they had to fight uphill just to get back to where they wanted to be. And the other thing, I, I, I don't know, Abby, if you're with me on this, because I've started, I started talking about it in the last telecast before the All-Star break, that one of the things about, listen, home court advantage is great, and you're going to want it, but there's a second factor here with the number one seed in the East, which is with the trades that Brooklyn made, if you sort of drop Brooklyn out of the top four, it's starting to look like a three-headed monster atop the East. So therefore, that number one seed, Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, one of those teams is going to avoid the other two in the second round. And that's where... Yeah, let's just... Because... Sometimes, in a best-case scenario, you think you're going to have your starting five all year. You think you're going to have your microphone for the entire podcast, <laughs> but you don't. You Things have to change. Work, and you have to you work have to around adapt. it. Abby, how many times has that mic fallen onto your lap today? Uh, this is the third. That's the third. That's all my right. fault. Rolling on. I apologize on. for that. We were missing one of our mic holders. Um, but no, I mean, it's a, man. it's a great point, Sean. Um, and I think that the Celtics are, I mean, obviously, they're top of the league right now, but they're well-positioned to snag that top seed, especially if they're able to stay healthy during these final 23 games, I keep saying it. I hope it happens. Well, listen, and whatever happens with, you know, with these playoff matchups happens, I couldn't help but think when the Celtics made the choice and it was the obvious choice to make at the time, sort of punt the game away in Milwaukee and to not play guys in the game before the All-Star break. That was, was the ho- obvious choice to you? Well, it, um, that's maybe being kind. It wasn't the obvious choice to me. When that choice was by the staff decided that, that was the obvious choice, I could not help but think from a poetry standpoint, from a basketball god standpoint, that the Bucks 
chose to punt the game away on the final game of the season last year, and it cost them home court advantage. And Game Seven was in Boston instead of in Milwaukee, which it you know easily could have been. I will Isn't say, that this, bad for the Celtics. Well, that's we the don't thing. know. We don't, but we don't know. But okay. that was again rolling the dice. That's why you and I are sitting here doing podcasts, and people that make decisions make decisions. We'll see how it all plays out. Um, you mentioned that game. When when we were preparing for this, and we were all thinking about our favorite moments of the game, you prepared the for season. This? I slightly, not mm-hmm. much. Interesting. Uh, but when I'm thinking back throughout the whole season, tons of highs, only a few lows. But it stuck out in my head that that game was actually my favorite moment of the season—a loss in I Milwaukee. Had to, I had to think hard of another one because I felt like, yeah, yeah I don't think you can it pick just a loss felt as a high. Good. Like, I mean, yeah. it was two, and the two. If you throw in Christmas Day, look at the two games against Milwaukee for contrasting reasons. Yep. Yeah, but you look at that game and it just felt—I don't know if if in my fourteen seasons here, fifteen seasons that I've felt that positive after a loss, a loss ever. Because it just felt like everyone on this roster, it was just more proof, everyone on this roster is ready at all times. And when you've got that type of depth and you've got that type of mindset, I think that just shows, I mean, it's one of the most important factors that you can take into the playoffs because you're going to run into all sorts of challenges and friction and whatever you want to call it. The fact that they were able to step in and play at that high level against what many people believe might be the other top challenger in the East against them, basically fully healthy without Bobby Portis. But that, that stood out to me. That was my favorite moment of the season. Like I said, I, that the feeling in the locker room after that game did not feel like a loss Mm -hmm. at all. And talking to guys and, and the confidence that that gives guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus smart to be able to be comfortable in, in taking those, assigned times off, I think is really important, but it also, I couldn't, I couldn't bring that as my favorite point because it was a loss. There are no moral victories. This is Boston. It's all about winning a championship. And it's also, we've seen it with the Celtics and that there is a letdown when you find out that a team's best players are not playing. That's true. And we've seen it with the Celtics. And so to me, there was no question. They needed a 40 piece from Drew Holiday to win that game. though. Yeah. But the Bucks (laughs) rolled out there. I mean, they were not on top of their game, I would say, from the jump. And so when they really buckled down and and took it seriously and understood the challenge that actually laid before them, they got it done. But I do think that that was was such a fun game. It was cool to see Al back in Milwaukee where he is just incredible. Playoff Al at all times. The man, yes, (laughs) at all times. Um, And yeah, that game was just really fun to be a part of from the jump. What was your other top moment? I think it was the win over Philadelphia yeah. without everybody. Before that, yeah, a yes. few games before that. I mean, I, I personally did not give the Celtics a chance in that game, knowing they were going up against Joel Embiid and James Harden without Al Horford and, and Rob Williams. There's no They're starting without their starting front court. And Grant and Williams. And went out. And then Jalen went out, missed the entire second half. Um, to get that win, I think was and and you know the Celtics are already in the head of the 76ers, <laughs> especially Joel Embiid. We didn't say that, and uh, I said that. <laughs> Abby I did, said that. and and Marcus Martin, the head of James Harden. I also said that. <laughs> then to get that win, she dropping the confetti a little. Yeah, early. I'm just staying quiet over here. <laughs> to get that win in that fashion, I think was huge. And um, especially because Philadelphia came in, they were the hottest team in the East at that point. They were rolling, had won nine of, of their 20, last yeah, 10. Yeah, yeah 18 oh, yeah. of 20. 
And um, for the Celtics to basically shut them up was pretty gratifying. I don't think Doc enjoyed that moment. First of all, Mark, you weren't, if you, that was the, the loss you felt best about, you definitely weren't here in 2007. We were feeling I good about not. losses every single night because that was the idea. You're looking at Greg Oden and Kevin Durant feeling good about losses every single night, and there were a lot of them to choose from uh, in 07. I think back in the first half of the year, it's really an amalgam of moments uh, where I could see Jason Tatum looking as if he were Neo in the Matrix, and everything was sl- – there were moments when he knew I'm the best player on the floor. I can impact this game. I can do whatever I want, whether you know it be against Charlotte. There was a game in Detroit early in the year, actually both games in Detroit this year, where he just he almost like looked around and said, I'm the best player on the floor. I can do whatever it is I want to do. And it is What do I feel like working to on tonight? Right. Yeah. And it is, you know, when you see that, this was a kid who came in at you know at 19 years old. Still 19. And you and I, and still 19. You and I just, uh, Mark, did the podcast looking back at the Philadelphia series when people get mm-hmm. to that. The that Jason Tatum, you forget the rookie year that he the the difference that he makes on and off the floor. The numbers are insane. Al his rookie year, Al led the Celtics in plus minus by a small margin. Every other year, it's been Tatum by a by a large margin. And the moments that he's had this year, we talk about how many times have you used the MVP type of year thing that he's mm-hmm. having. But those come in moments when you look at him on the floor and say there are a lot of moments. Even you know doing the telecast, and I'm thinking, Scal says, "What are we watching here?" And I'm thinking, and I'm going to say it next time he does it, which is what we're seeing is parts of the highlight tape we're going to be looking at on Jason Tatum Day at the Garden in 15 years. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at these moments when he realizes that he is one of the best players in the world and that he's dominating. But individually, it was a separate Jason Tatum moment that is mine only because in a year in which, as Abby can attest, it has been an unprecedented year of us multitasking. Abby has done it. Max has done it. Obviously, I've been doing it. We've been going back and it. forth. You don't. You, well, you sit, but you sit here and you Absolutely oversee. Do. All of us do. You know, I said Abby and I are jumping back and forth. TV yep. one night, radio the next night. We're going back and forth. Was a night, uh, and a moment. I decided to be a cinematographer at the same time I was doing play by play. And where I was really lucky, we got. I wouldn't have been able to do this if I had been doing TV. But we got Mike to come down to Charlotte and do those games, which allowed me to be on radio. For those games, and my wife and son were at the Martin Luther King game when Jason Tatum was going for 50 at the end of the game, and my wife and son were sitting eight, ten rows in front of me, and so I said, I can do this, because I knew that my son was losing his mind wearing his Jason Tatum jersey as this was happening, and he knew we got a chance to see it, so I got my phone out, and I was shooting video of the two of them while I was calling you know, Tatum up the floor left side going for 50 because I knew my son was going to have sort of an epic reaction to it. So now I've got the moment on video of my son seeing it happen. And then you could sort of hear me in the background trying to trying to call it as it happened. So, But it was just such pure joy from Jack. I mean, he was, you know, so excited. You know what it's like. And, and you know, my son has not had the life that most kids have living behind the curtain and uh, you know, my favorite story with my son was I flew back here after game one last year, the finals, picked him up, flew him back out to San Francisco for game two. The Red Sox and all the places in all the world, where were the Red Sox that weekend? They were out there in Oakland. So he goes to the Red Sox game in Oakland on Sunday afternoon. Then he goes to game two of the NBA finals in San Francisco. We fly back with the families on the charter 
And so the next morning, he I literally got him to school on time oh, wow. on Monday morning. And when he gets to school and the other kid said, hey, did you see the game last night? He'd go, yep. I was there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> yep. I may or may yeah. not have. Here, look yeah. at my phone. <laughs> see these photos? No one sent these to me. But the pure, you know what? The best part, listen, I'm not going down the road of being a parent, but these moments of joy that Celtic fans have all experienced this year, to watch them through the eyes of a kid, and my son's 11 now. So there's a different now. He really understands mm-hmm. when Jason and Jalen are doing this thing, and when he, you know, felt he it was up wasn't up late enough to see the All Star game. But when I told him the next morning, you didn't you, let him stay up. I he was not with me, okay. my friend, that okay. night. So therefore, different <laughs> rules in different houses. Yeah, we stay up late to see historic sports moments. You know, in this in this half of the family, but to be able to tell him, oh yeah, by the way, your guy set an All Star game record and was the MVP of the All Star game, and you just see the eyes. This goes back to. When I say this is why documenting these moments, having the job I have, matters. It really brings it home when you see your son, when you hand him the box score from the playoff game the night before with at five years old, when his favorite player, Isaiah Thomas, and he looks at the box score and goes across to the column and sees 50-something points, and his eyes, just his little five-year-old eyes pop out of his head, that's when you realize these moments are important and why when the Celtics have the best record in the NBA – we shouldn't be thinking about three losses in a row to Golden State in the finals or what is ahead of us. But rather, if you can't enjoy these moments that many other basketball fans in many other cities will never have, there are 20 franchises, at least, maybe more, that have never come close to having a calendar year like the Celtics had in 2022. Forget 17 championships. Forget you know Charlotte, Sacramento, all these other these teams have never had a year like that, which you won sixty plus games and had a double digit scoring differential. So, whatever is ahead, my point about the first half of the season is enjoy every single night because when people talk about Bird, McHale, and the original Big Three, they remember getting to watch every mm-hmm. night, and it's the same thing in in the Jays era or whatever we're going to end up calling it. Of hey, what time is the Celtics game on tonight? I want to watch. I want to be there at the Garden to see these guys play. Well, and that's what, let's talk about the All-Star game, because to me, that's what made it so much fun. It was clear, even in the first half with Jalen coming off the bench, that the Celtics have two of the best players in the NBA. Jason Tatum on the floor. I know LeBron put on a show in that first half, in those minutes he was on the floor, but Jason was right there with him. And then any time, I mean, Jalen checking in with that mask for the first time. You could tell there there was some (laughs) adjustment there. And by the way, with the mask, I didn't know they were allowed to wear black masks. Didn't I thought yeah, I think Embiid Embiid wore that. He did. Okay. So it's back. They're back. (laughs) Um but just those early moments with Jalen after he got used to the mask and he was dunking all over the place, launching threes, and then what we got to see in the second half was so special. And I know a lot of people asking for defense in the all star game. I do not care for anything. No one get hurt. That That's the goal. Mm. Score as many buckets as you want. Let's do layup lines if that's what you want because that is entertaining as hell. And I loved every minute of that and it just showcased the season that Jason and Jalen are having this season and they have been incredible. Sean, two things. You've got more of a photographic memory than I do and that's not saying much. <laughs> but... I don't remember. Yeah, but I can tell you wh- what the Celtics did in Denver in 2003, but I don't know where my car keys are. So I don't know. That's not well, like it's a the important memory. things. That's in select- life. Well, it's, it's again, important things. Where in your life. priorities are. So right. when point. I was watching Jalen and Jason go back and forth, we've seen some iconic moments with, with players having individual matchups. Yeah. MJ and Kobe comes to mind. I mean, LeBron and Kobe going at each other in the All Star game. We've seen it before. 
We've seen teammates go at each other before. But that that was like multiple minutes of a game where they mm. were going back and forth and it just seemed like everyone else was standing back and saying Watching like the show. these guys deserve their moment. Let's yep. watch the show. And boy did they put on a show. That was awesome to see and I, and I love the fact that Jalen got his moment too. Um because he borderline deserved to be a starter in that game. Didn't quite make it as a starter, but he's having an absurd season. And that's the best part. I mean, getting to watch that number one, that was my first point, was was incredible. But I also love the fact that both of these guys out of the Jays have their moments where everyone watching the TV can say, okay, that's that guy. And then Jalen might take over and everyone watching can say, oh, that's that guy. And this happened in the NBA Finals. Now it happened in an NBA All-Star game. I think it just shows just where this team is set up moving forward that there's there's two 1As on this team. But I also think that this season is different, and, and even the run starting from the second half of last season, is that they have been able to play together and are thriving on the floor together. I feel like early on it was so much your turn, my turn. Yeah, and, and now they figured it out. Yeah, we're seeing it. And 27 games where they've each scored 25-plus, that's never happened before in the NBA before the All-Star break. And that... That's what's scary, what is scary for the rest of the league, Mark. Not, not just Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon yeah. coming off the bench, but the fact that it's, those two have figured it out and how much they are thriving together on the floor has been an incredible transformation. To, to the point where even though things externally are set up to find division and to find stories, Kobe and Shaq won championships, and that's arguably the greatest tandem ever, or certainly one of them, however you want to phrase it. Or, or, or make those arguments, which everybody likes to do these days. Kobe and Shaq was a thing all the time. Kobe and Shaq and the rivalry, Kobe and Shaq, and there's no, you, you, can't, you can't do it here because it doesn't exist. And that's really, there are, I've said a million times, with everything Jalen Brown accomplishes in his basketball career, you're going to be prouder of a Celtics fan years from now about what he accomplishes off the floor in his life. But let's not overlook how he is dealing with this situation now where he is an elite player in the world. He would be the best player on most teams in the NBA, but Jason is, Jason is in his time right now where he is a top three MVP candidate where he's having this moment and there's never, there's never an issue. There's never a secondary thing that comes out of it because these guys, again, going back to being across the hall after game six, you know, they, they just want to win. They know what they want. And, and they by know the way, what it's going to take. That All-Star Game moment, in our job, like Abby and I come to the ballpark every night, and we might get to document history. Something special could happen. There are those rare moments when you know it as it's going on. Feel you it. know, as Jason and Jalen are doing that thing, you know years from now we'll be talking about that, that night in the All-Star Game. And that, again, that's sort of the beauty of what we do. Thank God they both made those shots, right? <laughs> Each of them given, yeah. given the, the small. small. <laughs> I yep. loved it. Um, I just call that the Peyton Pritchard now. Or that. Too we small. can roll with that. Uh, you brought it up. This is going to be the last thing that I got to throw out there is Jason Tatum is a top three MVP candidate this season. What do you think he needs to do to get up to one? Is it possible? I tend to think that it's not going to happen. And I think it would require – I'll defer to you, Abby, but I think the Celtics would have to win the NBA regular season by a extraordinary margin. They have to run away and hide. And I, again, ironically, after what I just said, 
to me, it occurred to me there were a lot of moments this year where it occurred to me the biggest obstacle to Jason Tatum winning the MVP is how good Jalen Brown is. Because he that, has a legitimate right, post-star. Because Joel Embiid, uh, forget, I mean, Jokic is clearly in the driver's seat and he should be. And what I said at the beginning of the year is he's won twice with Denver being in the middle of the pack. They're going to win the yeah. West running away. So I had no problem, unlike a lot of people, oh, you can't win three in a row because that's historic. If Jokic is the best player, he deserves to win three years in a row. Joel Embiid has sort of defined MVP seasons to me in that you think about these games where Joel Embiid has 40 and 24, and the Sixers are winning by like three. Yeah, <laughs> He, he need needs to do this for the Sixers to win these games. So to me, there, there's that. Durant, to me, with the injury, kind of falls out yep. of it, uh, regardless of what he does in Phoenix. But that, to me, I, I think the Jalen presence and the fact that if it's not Jokic, voters feel Embiid's been the guy on the outside looking in, and it's almost like it would be his turn if not Jokic. I think that hurts Tatum, and it, this year puts Tatum in the position of where Embiid is now, almost like it's his turn at some point to win it in the future. I also think it's a little bit of, and, and we hear this a lot, is that the thing that elevates a player to a superstar level is that he makes the guys around him better. Yeah. And that's a part of Jason's game that has been developing, continues to develop, and is the best it's ever been. But once he regularly starts getting, and that's something that Emi Odoka said early on last season, he believes yeah. that Jason is a player who can be getting, racking up triple doubles on a regular basis. And I think that that's kind of the missing piece for Jason in that ascension to the ultimate MVP conversation is making his teammates better. And, and he does. He, he is so good at making the right basketball play. And, and the amount of hockey assists, if you accounted for those, I think um, would be huge. But I, I do think that that is a part of it where if you don't watch every single game and see the mastery that he has is something that if you just look at a box score, you say, oh, Jason had five assists last night, you know, to go along with his 40 points. And he's making the right basketball play, but so is everyone else. And I think that that's a testament to the Celtics offense and a testament to this team. But it's another factor when if you're not paying attention, you could miss it. He's also, you said he's so good at those things. He's also so good at being humble. And I know that if he does not win it this year, it's no sweat off his back. Like he's going to move on and he's going to say, hey, whoever won it deserved to win it. But it's also going to give him some motivation in the offseason to try to come back and get it the next season. And the fact that he's in the conversation at 19 years old, I would imagine that by the time he reaches – no, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but at, at 24, if he's in the top three of the MVP voting, you know one is coming his way if all things – you know, granted that, that he remains healthy, yeah. but it's and coming. It's just this, a matter of when. Again, one of the things about the Celtics historically, there are no scoring champions – you know, MVPs is individual things, so people don't care. How about instead of maybe bigger than Jason Tatum being or not being the MVP this year is the fact that there is now, you cannot argue against the fact that he has put together one of the four or five best resumes in the history of the game for players under 25 years old. That can't be argued. He's climbing that scoring list. He's the first ever to, he's the youngest player to make a thousand threes. And not to mention, there are players that put up big numbers like this he has combined putting up these big numbers with a trip to the NBA Finals yes. and multiple trips now to the Conference Finals. So, uh, put together, look at the resumes of players under 25. The elite of the elite. Durant, Kobe, Shaq. Jason Tatum is in the conversation with these guys. We don't know what 25 to 30 or 30 to 35 is going to look like, but among the all-time greatest players in the history of this game, that was invented by James Naismith, 
Jason Tatum is one of the best under 25 players to ever play, period. Period. And by the time this episode airs, we're going to be a few days ahead of his 25th birthday. He will, maybe by the time this airs or shortly thereafter, he will become the number seven scorer of all time in the history of the league before the age of 25. Think about that. And a couple of the guys on it, because I've been, I've been, you know, you guys know I've been pipping that list for a while and we've been running it on TV and whatever, that some of those guys on that list are high school guys. Obviously, Giannis didn't play the year in college. Devin Booker did. Kevin Durant did. But, and Shaq obviously played at LSU. But there are guys on that list, Kobe uh, among them, that did not play. You know, so among, he's, I think, fourth maybe on that list of guys that actually played in college. Crazy. Crazy. Well, and we get oh, to witness it all. Oh, every single night. How and lucky we'll, are we? we'll keep doing that the rest of the season. But a, a lot of fun things that we got to rewind and look back on so far in the season. I have a question for you, Mark. More. What do you got, Sean? Because historically, it has never happened before. What I talked about, what Abby doing, what I'm doing, what Max is doing. You're watching. You're taking in TV and radio before. This is never. We talk about player depth and playing multiple positions <laughs> and positionless Versatility. basketball. Well, this is an, a historic year in terms of Celtics broadcasting as far as people being I mean where's that's know, the most where, important where are part Abby's of the flowers so for far. being able to on no notice jumping from one to the other and you know where's all that this is a historic part of the season you, it wasn't on your little rundown sheet the, this the flowers are happening now to both of you carrying multiple multiple roles bouncing back and forth it's everything you already said I think you gave the flowers out yeah. to this yourself is our job. Flowers, this like, is the job Sean. amen I show up to I show can up buy to work. Myself flowers. Tell us where to go. And the words well, of Miley Cyrus. I can say this. Anyone who's watching or listening, if you tune into the radio or the TV, you never you're going to hear one of you. But you're going to hear one of you no matter what, right? On any given night, what you're going to get. <laughs> and hopefully this gives need, everyone some I always some thought we need one of those in. Twitter accounts. Like, who's doing the Celtics game tonight? Like, and then it just. Who's announcing? Yeah. It's kind of like the Celtics starting lineup. It is very much. You don't know. The rotating door. When you ask us, hey, who's going to start tonight? We'll just give you the one. We'll announce it. Give you the Joe one-word answer. You'll find out 30 yeah. minutes before right. when pregame exactly. starts. We'll have to. We're, yeah. still, we're still working out, on it. Yeah. Someone out Is there fire on up the TV Twitter or radio account. today? We're going we're gonna to work her out before the game, and then we'll, we'll make a decision. Someone out there will fire up that Twitter account. It's going to happen now. Um, but no, this has been great. Let's look forward to the second half of the season, which is really the yeah, final eight. 23 games. And hopefully this team makes a long run. Uh, so that's episode four of season three of View from the Raptors. We'll see you guys next week with another episode.